I'm sorry, last time I checked, I thought we lived in a free country, so. No, we don't. No? It's the United States of don't touch that thing right in front of you. On the third bugle blast, I shall loudly announce attack! <laughs> At which point, we will all jump out of this box. Great Scott! I don't trust this kid any further than I can throw it. Gum gum, you give me gum gum. Well, with your bad knee, Ed, you shouldn't throw anybody. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Don't call this night! I'm back. You, That is not my name. This town needs an enema. Who are these people? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. You're listening to Fearless with Mark and Amber, a behind-the-scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, where we are creating documentary films about the issues impacting our culture and society from a biblical perspective and pursuing truth above all else. I'm Amber Archer, and joining me is my husband, author, director, speaker, Mark Archer. Keep it together, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. You can learn more about us and the movies we're making by visiting fearlessfeatures.org. We gotta let the music finish. I'm enjoying these opens. <laughs> I'm just gonna say. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So, but we're gonna do something fun with the opens. Yes, we are. We're gonna get to that first. Sure. Okay. So, since we're uh, we're now um, doing these fun opens, we're gonna have a giveaway. Uh huh. So, tell them what they can win, honey. Well, it would. <laughs> we thought it'd be super fun for those of you listening. And if you know um, the movies <laughs> that each of these clips come from, mm-hmm. we will send you, the first person who gets it correct, mm-hmm. will send you a copy of Inwood Drive, the DVD, Inwood Drive signed book, and the Mind Polluters DVD. That's right. Yeah. So, what? I'm going to play through it again, just the, the first part of it. And, and if you know these, and I'll count, I'll count through them. There are twelve different audio clips. Um, some of them are from the same movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you need to have them in order, and I want to know which film and or television series it is. Yes. Okay, so if it's if it's a film where there are multiples, I want the right one. I want right. the right <laughs> the right. Yeah, film. like if it's you know two, three, four, five, yeah. six, and, seven, whatever. And there are some tricky ones in here, so you're yeah. gonna have to. All right, so here we go. So I'm sorry. Last time I checked, this is your first free country. So no, we don't. No, it's the United States of don't touch that thing right in front of you. On the third number two, last I shall loudly announce attack. At which point we will all jump out of this box. Number three, I don't trust number four kid any further than I can throw it. Number five. Number Okay, there's 12 of them. Yes, yeah, so that's fun. So you can go to, if you know what these are and you want to play along and participate in the giveaway, the first person to get these correct, we will send you um, Inwood Drive DVD, the Mind Polluters DVD, Inwood Drive the book, signed copy. Um, go to fearlessfeatures.org forward slash giveaway. The link will be left down in the show notes if you want to play along. <laughs> and there are some, I, know, I know there's some tricky ones in there. You got to be a true... Movie nerd. Yeah, there you go. And and yeah, so. Okay. Um, Back to the show. Back to the show. So 
Let me do the serious one, and then I've got another funny. Okay. Okay. I found an article from Todd Snarns. Okay. Okay. Commentator. Biden flagged Americans who purchased Bibles and shopped at Cabela's. Mm. So the Biden administration flagged Americans who purchased Bibles or shopped at stores like Cabela's or Dick's Sporting Goods. Let me just pause. Dick's Sporting Goods stopped selling anything of consequence. They don't sell firearms anymore, mm-hmm. right? Because they went woke. So oh, I didn't know you, they stopped selling firearms. Yeah, for the most part. So are you really worried about people going in and buying new spandex for the gym? I don't um, know. Yes. You got to think about it. Yes, because was it the European who was trying to do away with fishing and hunting? Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't forget about that now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll have that clip next week. Okay. So at Davos, which has been going on, Davos is where all of the elites uh-huh. meet in Switzerland to talk about how to rule all the rest of us. Engineer the world. Right. And how to murder us by the millions so that they so that they can have everything to themselves. And and fishing and hunting were ecocide. Ecocide. <laughs> <laughs> to be put on on the same scale as genocide. Yeah, it's ecocide. Uh huh. And I I'll have this clip for you next week of this this deranged woman talking about how we shouldn't be farming because you're damaging the earth. Uh huh. And you shouldn't be fishing. Okay. Good for thee, but not for me. Well, right? Dick still sells fishing rods. I think they do still sell fishing <laughs> I think rods. I'd have to go and look. Um, according to a shocking report from the select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government, quote, we now know the federal government flagged terms like MAGA and Trump to financial institutions. If Americans completed transactions using those terms, this is from representative Jim Jordan. What was also flagged. If you bought a religious text, like a Bible or shopped at Bass Pro Shop. You know, all these years I've never been to Bass Pro Shop or Cabela's. We'll have to stop one of these days. I always would drive by it when we go to Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. I see Cabela's mm-hmm. and I think I really would love to stop there, but I've never been. Um, well, and isn't the Bass Pro Shops, which one is that one when we were out traveling? It was like this pyramid. Do you know what that was? I think that's Bass Pro Shops, okay. yeah. Uh, This kind of pervasive financial surveillance carried out in coordination with and at the request of federal law enforcement into Americans' private transactions is alarming and raises serious concerns about the FBI's respect for fundamental civil liberties. The committee obtained documents showing that after, here we go again, after January 6, 2021, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network called on financial institutions to be on the lookout for certain search terms. They were also warned of extremism indicators that included bus and plane tickets. Oh, those are dangerous people. Mm -hmm. Rental cars and the purchase of books, including religious texts and subscriptions to other media containing extremist views. The Bible has extremist views. Uh, Well, according to the satanic New World Order, yes. Yeah. In other words, uh, they urged large financial institutions to comb through the private transactions of their customers for suspicious charges on the basis of protected political and religious expression. Despite these transactions having no apparent criminal nexus and in fact relate to Americans exercising their Second Amendment rights, 
FinCEN, that's the government agency, seems to have adopted a characterization of these Americans as potential threat actors. We talked about this last week mm-hmm. with, uh, with the clip we played. Um, this kind of pervasive financial surveillance carried out in coordination with and at the request of federal law enforcement into Americans' private transactions is alarming and raises serious doubts about the respect for fundamental civil liberties. Thoughts, comments, questions, concerns? Well, and it just goes back to um, thinking about how much we the cash system needs to yeah. <laughs> come back into being the dominant. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, and at this point, I mean, I, I, I read this this morning and I just laughed and I, I thought, <laughs> I mean, we already know that we're flagged, right? Yeah. We're oh, suppressed, sure. we're, we're flagged. I'm sure I have a T-shirt that says I'm on a government watch list, and, of and it's and it's not even a joke because well, we know that we are. Oh well, when you get up to to speak at a church and you're instantly shut down from YouTube right. and Facebook because your name is in it, right? You know that somewhere you're on a list, right? And so, and when when I talk to people, and still there, I mean, people are waking up in mass, but. The, those that are still doubting this, I, I always take it to, let's take it back even just five, six years ago where it was still uh, the consensus that men are men and women are women, mm-hmm. right? And what has now happened is we have redefined biological gender, mm-hmm. right, to no, it can be whatever you want. So tell me how it is that a culture that is accepting this kind of nonsense when it is it is scientific fact biology doesn't change and that how do we have a hard time believing that the same people pushing that are not trying to redefine everything right mm-hmm. so i hear these people say well i'm not doing anything wrong you've missed the point it's about who's defining what's right and wrong. These are the same people that have already defined that pornography is great for kids, that mass uh, genocide of babies in the womb is great for the population, that mass experimental shots are good for everyone, and that uh, that you should be able to chop off body parts and call yourself something else. Mm-hmm. Because that, that somehow is going to fix whatever ailment right, you have. Right. So these same people, how difficult, if if they have managed to push that on society, how difficult is it to believe that they have already not already gone in and redefined what's right and wrong? Mm-hmm. Obviously, they have. They, they've redefined everything. Scripture talks about this. Right. <laughs> they will call right, wrong, and wrong, right. Mm-hmm. So it's not... It's not Believe we're it not or, surprised. Yeah, we're not surprised. You can believe it or not believe it. It doesn't change the fact that it's true, that they're redefining what makes you dangerous. And so what caught my eye about this is that now if you are purchasing a Bible, mm-hmm. that makes you somebody that's an suspicious, an extremist that they need to watch. Um, so how difficult is it to believe that there will come a point in this nation where you are considered not part of society anymore, that you're not allowed to participate because you're an extremist. Because of your beliefs. 
because you'll be put on, is it so hard to believe that you'll be put on a, um, a no fly list that you would be surveilled constantly that they would find some way to just like with the shots, right? You either take this shot or you can't work. Mm -hmm. So how hard is it to believe that they would find a way to say, if you own a Bible, you can't work. Mm -hmm. And we know from scriptures that this time is coming, Mm -hmm. whether or not we're here for it or not depends on whether or not you are a believer. So I thought that was interesting. Now, now I have something on more lighthearted note here. Okay. Do share. I found this this morning. Uh huh. And I had to. I had to. Well, it must uh, be good if you're including it in the show that you just found this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's funny. This is a. I found this on fake, fake book. This is a, an extract from a 1950 home economics book, and it's called Tips to Look After Your Husband. So, are you ready for this? Because I have a list here and I wanted to get your thoughts. Oh, okay. Okay. Let's go. All right. So. Tips to look after your husband. Number one, have dinner ready. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious meal on time. This is a way of letting him know that you have been thinking about him and are concerned about his needs. Most men are hungry when they come home and the prospects of a good meal are part of the warm welcome needed. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Got that one? Got it. Are you taking notes? I'm, I'm taking notes. Number two, uh-huh. prepare yourself. Uh-huh. What, well, first of all, what's my job all day? What am I doing? You're, you're taking care of the home and the children. Okay. I'm okay. the homemaker. Got yeah. it. Love being a homemaker. Yeah. Number two, prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes to rest so you will be refreshed <laughs> when he arrives. <laughs> <laughs> Touch up your makeup. Put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh looking. Oh, okay. He has just been with a lot of work-weary people. Be a little gay and a little more interesting. His boring day may need a lift. Okay. Okay. Hey. (laughs) You got 15 minutes to get yourself together. (laughs) But it said I was supposed to have 15 minutes to rest. Oh, yeah. You get a a little rest. I get a break in my day? Yes. Okay. Yes. Got it. But it's not for you. It's to prepare yourself to cater to him. <laughs> okay. Okay. Num- Got it. Number three. Clear away the clutter. <laughs> I laugh, especially if you have young children. And especially uh, if you have young children and you work from home. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number three. Just just clear away the clutter. Uh, make one last trip through the main part of the house just before your husband arrives. Gathering up school books, toys, paper, etc. Then run a dust cloth over the tables. Your husband will feel he has reached a haven of rest and order, and it will give you a lift, too. Okay. <laughs> you got you, any questions about this I'm going to so have far? tire made. <laughs> <laughs> Number four was my favorite. Okay, let's hear it. Prepare the children. <laughs> okay. Take a few minutes to wash the children's hands and faces if they are small. Comb their hair, and if necessary, change their clothes. They are little treasures, and he would like to see them playing the part. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> you know what it reminds wow, me hasn't of? hasn't society changed so much? It reminds oh, wow. me of that. It reminds me of uh, The Sound of Music. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. When, when, when she gets them when, already. When father comes home. Yeah. 
and she gets them all ready and they all come and line up and present themselves yeah. for father. That's what everyone With a yeah. dog whistle, I think. Something, yeah. Something He's got like the dog that. whistle. Yeah. Like a military inspection. Uh-huh. Um, okay, next. Minimize all noise. <laughs> Remember, because you've already prepared these little treasures. I'm rolling out the red carpet here. You've already prepared the little treasures uh-huh. and they are to play the, po- the part and now minimize all noise. At the time of his arrival, eliminate all noise of washer, dryer, dishwasher, or vacuum. I mean, you should have been doing that all day, right? So, I mean, you should just have it done and be ready. Just wait. Try to encourage the children to just be quiet. (laughs) Be quiet, little treasures. (laughs) Be happy to see him. This is such a strict functioning household that I can't even greet uh, him with a warm smile and be glad to see him. Uh? I mean, nothing wrong with these, but I, um, no, it's just, uh, no, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. It's just funny how it's presented. Yeah. It is. As, yeah. As a textbook, you know, list, this is you what home economics done. class. Yeah. <laughs> some don'ts. Okay. How many more you got here? I got one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Here's some don'ts. Don't greet him with problems or complaints. Don't complain if he's late for dinner. Count this as minor compared with my, with what he might have gone through that day. SEL. <laughs> Social emotional learning right, going right. on here. Win-win. Yeah, yeah here Seek we go. Seek first to understand before yeah. you are understood. Okay. <clears throat> Next, make him comfortable. Have him lean back in a comfortable chair or suggest he lie down in the bedroom. Have a cool or warm drink ready for him. Wait, is he doing this for me after I'm done with him? No, there's nothing about... No, this is not... What, okay. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Arrange his pillow and offer to take off his shoes. <laughs> Speak in a low, soft, soothing, and pleasant voice. <laughs> allow, him to relax, allow him to relax and unwind. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> <sighs> Next, listen to him. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You got three more? You may have a few things to tell him, but the moment of his arrival is not the time. Let him talk first. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. You just be quiet. Uh Uh-huh. Keep the little treasures prepared. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go on. Next, make the evening his... Never complain if he does not take you out to dinner or to other <laughs> places of entertainment. <laughs> Instead, here we go, it's social emotional learning. Try to understand his world <laughs> of strain and pressure, his need to come home and relax. This is a junk <laughs> home ec book, let me just say. Go ahead. And the last one, the goal. Let's summarize the goal. Okay. Try to make your home a place of peace and order where your husband can renew himself in body and spirit. Um, uh, what about the rest of us who, you know, also have responsibilities? No, no, no. I mean, I'm not, it's, I'm not all gung ho on the feminist movement <laughs> or anything, but, uh, I, uh, there, there is equal partnership in a marriage and things that are to be done. Yeah, I, I thought it was funny. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm more of a traditionalist, I guess by today's standards. But I look, I'm reading this and I'm thinking the same thing. I'm going, wait a minute, 
How do, how do people survive? What it, and what is he supposed to do for her? Yeah. <laughs> it's other than I come home and you serve me. Well, right? and especially the, the one that really, um, this the second to last one, make the evening his. <laughs> okay, so... You've been at home all day with the children. You love them unconditionally. Mm -hmm. You've cared for them. You've taught them, you know, whatever is happening. And then uh, never complain if he does not take you out to dinner or to other places of entertainment. Instead, try to understand his world of strain and pressure. <laughs> yeah, because obviously the women don't have a world of strain and right. pressure. You have no strain. You don't at understand home with the little treasures. Okay. And the cooking and the cleaning. <laughs> okay. I don't know what you're complaining about. I know. <laughs> so I just thought that was fun. I thought that was, uh, that was fun. It's fun to see how um, times have changed. Obviously, I think it's interesting how we I mean, this is from obviously a time before we were here. Yeah. And so we tend to romanticize those times. as Wishing for that simpler, right. more put together, you know, society and environment. Right. We're seeing uh, things seemed uh, like they had more of a moral compass. Right. And there was just rights and wrongs, and, but equality. But but things were equal. But but really, if you think about this time in American history, 1950, you're five years post World War II. Mm -hmm. um, the the society has shifted dramatically, mm -hmm. right? The 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 idea, and this is interesting. How during the war, the men went to war. And the women went to work mm -hmm. to build the war Right, machine. to the factories. And then when when the war was over, the women were expected to give those jobs up and give them back to the men. Mm. And, you know, there were, of course, there were, there were tens of thousands of women who didn't have a husband coming home. Right. So what are they supposed to do now, mm -hmm. right? And so that, it's just an illustration of how the war shifted fundamentally shifted society and now you've got and the family and the home and right. the structure so mm -hmm. now you have you had a, a a large number of single working women with children a mm -hmm. lot of them had children and they were just expected to you know to go back and be homemakers but there's no home to make because the husband has been killed in the war yeah and so it, it's an interesting interesting thing to to read and remember too this is before the civil rights act so mm -hmm. there's still rampant uh, segregation in society mm -hmm. right you got the everything is white centric there was no real equality for blacks mm -hmm. yet i mean yes slavery was ended but you know it was not until the 60s mm -hmm. that the civil rights act passed um so there was still, I mean, it was still a very, uh, very Caucasian society, mm -hmm. right? Very interesting. Well, it just, you know, as because we research so much stuff, it just makes me wonder. I would love to see this home ec book, and I would love to see who the publisher was and who mm -hmm. wrote it. Like, where where does this source come from? Yeah, it's, and uh, yeah, I would love to see, and I, I'd love to see how far back it goes mm -hmm. and when it's. I can guarantee it started to change in the sixties. Mm -hmm. 
you know, when the, when the, you know, the, the hippies and all that started to really affect all that, that's when the feminist movement really started to gain strength, 60s, mm-hmm. 70s into the 80s so education is just fascinating when you study education and Mm -hmm. i mean and this was this is from from a home economics book so this was being taught right in schools to children and so you know just to see how much even education has changed right and the things that they're teaching well i would love to see the flip side of it what are you teaching the young men yeah what is your responsibility yeah are you teaching them to be godly young men are you teaching them them husbands love your wives mm-hmm. as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. That means that you would, as as a godly husband, I think you would look at this and go, um, what a, <laughs> what about her? Yeah, right. Because this, I I read this and I I laugh, but it makes me cringe because I think this is. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what I expect, right? right? This is very sexist. It's yeah. very, it's very, very one-sided. I want to see what were you teaching the men that their responsibilities were. Right. Obviously just to work. Right. Besides, <laughs> ju- besides working, but you know, that's, that's not, it takes more than that. Yeah. So. Okay. But on another note, before we go to break, yes. we have another screening. We're, we're lining up a lot more screenings, but we have one definitely on the calendar for February. Mm-hmm. We are going to be back in Noblesville. Yep, at Life Church. At Life Church. Uh, the Noblesville campus on February 16th. Yep. Show starts at 6.30. Doors open at 6. You can get your tickets at dysphoriamovie.com. Right. So this is the same place where we had the premiere, but yes. it is this is a regular screening. This is though, a regular so. screening. All at Come on, come all. <laughs> come on, come <laughs> Bring all. Bring your friends. Tickets are $14. Yep. And you don't have to dress up. Nope. Don't have to feel uh, any pressure there. Just and come and hang out. They have a new LED screen. Yes, so they have a snazzy a new, snazzy new yeah. LED wall. And so I can't wait to see the movie. And on it's pretty nice. So we're gonna we're gonna screen the movie at uh, Noblesville. So with a with a short Q and A afterwards, and yep, get people ready to go. So be there or be square. Okay, so we're gonna go to break. BRB. I had a lot of righteous anger. Um, it's very concerning that there's so many lukewarm people out there that don't even know that this is a topic of discussion. Well, this is the second time I've seen it. Um, the first time I was more shocked and angry and scared, I guess, for the kids. Um, this time I heard the call to action much stronger, and so that's why I'm speaking up now. I had no idea that Antifa is now going after this area. No clue about that until those women, those parents were interviewed and how Antifa is, now I understand, that, that's the connecting the dots. Dysphoria makes the case. It lays out the, the issues, it lays out the concerns, and it even gives us a roadmap of the ways that we can combat this. Uh, so it's imperative that we make sure that everybody that we know gets to know about this movie, uh, gets to understand about it, and uh, we really need to spread the word as, as best we can. So who needs to see this film? Um, anybody that has breeds air, um, and in reality, it's going to be anybody who's a grandparent, anybody who's a parent, anybody who's thinking to have a child. Um, I would say anybody that can have the opportunity to go out and, and have action to, to save our children in any capacity. Get your tickets at dysphoriamovie.com. 
Okay, so now we're going to uh, share part three of interview with the abortionist. So this is now where we start to hear from George, mm -hmm. the abortionist himself. Um, this is interesting because you remember when we left off part two last week and we talked about how, um, to, to our surprise, first thing he started talking about was Dresden. Mm -hmm. And I thought that this was an urban myth. Mm -hmm. I didn't put any uh, weight on any these stories that stories, I've heard. Because yeah. we had both heard this mm -hmm. from multiple sources. But, um, you know, just because you're on the, the pro-life side of things doesn't mean that you're not susceptible mm -hmm. to things like this. So there are things that we that we heard that did turn out to be uh, untrue. But this, this I had to admit that I got wrong because mm -hmm. I really thought, yeah, it's not true. That's not true. Nope. First thing he did. Yep. Starts talking about Dresden. And it only got weirder from there. So, so with that, with that, let's give a listen to part three of interview with the abortionist. Interview with the Abortionist, Part 3 The fluorescent light fixture in the ceiling above us buzzed. You know that sound old fixtures make when they're about to start flickering like a prop from a horror movie? Inside the dimly lit, cluttered break room, Amber and I sat at a small round table across from the most prolific abortionist in the history of the state of Indiana, who still came to his defunct clinic once a week and spent the night in the basement. He hadn't been allowed to perform abortions in the building since the end of 2013, yet here he was. I looked around the room, my heart sinking inside me as I thought of the nonchalant conversations that must have taken place in this very room, between the nurse executioners and the clinic escorts as they wolfed down their lunches, complaining about politics and spouses and talking about their weekend plans. All the while, baby after baby, safe and warm inside their mother's womb, being unwittingly led down the hallway to be executed, and their bodies discarded in a red medical waste bag. Their only crime? Being conceived, and being an inconvenience, before they can even cry out for help. Abortionist Klopfer sits across the table. I've just opened the door for him to spill his guts to us, or vent his rage. We're not sure what to expect, but we're both fairly certain that we're not what he expected at all. As the recorder listens intently to every bit of noise in the room, transcribing it into a slowly moving waveform across its illuminated screen, what we're going to hear from him is still a mystery. But any fear that Amber and I had coming in is quickly fading for both of us. The raging, terrifying monster I expected to meet instead looks like nothing more than a lonely old man who spent the night on a park bench. If it weren't for the stark knowledge of just who and what he was, I would almost feel sorry for him, like I should have offered to help him carry his groceries to his car or something. As he ran his hands through his gray, tussled hair, he looked over his smudged eyeglasses at us both. Let me put it this way. Mm -hmm. In 1945, I was with my aunt in the suburbs of Dresden. In February of 1945, in between the Americans and the English, they firebombed Dresden mm. for three days and two nights. Uh, the death toll varies depending upon who you want to believe. Mm. 
The Allied say it was 40 to 50,000. The Germans said somewhere about 100,000. Uh, the German government at that time said it was 150,000. Americans POWs who were in trains at the train station got killed by the bombing. Uh, and the women's church, Frauenkirche in German, which was destructed by the bombing, and the East German government would not allow it to be rebuilt because as a memento of the horrendous thing that happened. After the Berlin Wall fell down and Germany reunited, in 1994, they decided to rebuild the woman's church. And when they did that, in the basement, they found dead bodies from World War II. Okay? Uh, in 1945, 46, 47, when the Russians were where we lived at that time, the Russian soldiers were driving through the fields with the AK-47s, shooting at anything and everything, with no disregard for anybody. Uh, the house across the street from us was destroyed in the bombing, not in the Dresden bombing, another bombing and most of that family got killed. So uh, the effects of the war probably may have not had a positive impact yeah. on my perception, mm -hmm. okay? But... Uh, on your perception of, of what? Of human beings, what they do to each other. And in that moment, I don't think there could have been anything more ironic and tragic at the same time. The abortionist himself responsible for conceivably at least 10,000 lives, probably more, talking about how World War II changed his perception of what people can do to each other. And I wondered to myself if this man even hears himself when he talks. He started to describe his early years in practice in Chicago and the first abortion he ever performed. With a long sigh, George started in with his twisted tale of self-justification. The bottom line is, and here's my philosophy, it always has been my philosophy, women should have the right to choose. Mm -hmm. Women get pregnant, men don't. Mm -hmm. If men got pregnant, we wouldn't be talking about this, okay? Now, and one of the reasons that really confirmed uh, my motivation was when I was at the hospital in Evanston, I had a 12-year-old girl mm. that was raped by her uncle. She was 21 weeks pregnant, and I had to do the abortion in the hospital. Okay? That didn't bother me. What bothered me is that her dad and mother wouldn't prosecute the uncle for raping her, their daughter. Okay? Mm -hmm. We all have to look at one thing. The concept that if a woman gets raped and she gets pregnant, that she'd be forced to have the child if she chooses not to, to remind her every day of what transpired is wrong. Wow. I mean, there's a lot to analyze there. It took us some time after our meeting to fully process everything he said. First, here he is admitting that his very first 
in utero murder was a 21-week-old baby. You see, later in the conversation, directly contradicting himself, he would insist that he never performed abortions past the first trimester. By his own admission, that first abortion on a 21-week-old wasn't what bothered him at all. Stop. Uh, Aborting a 21-week-old baby is not scraping some clump of cells out of a woman's uterus. A 21-week-old baby in the womb has eyes, fingers, toes, ears, a heartbeat, brain waves, and can survive outside of the womb. So the very first time George did this, he reached inside a 12-year-old girl with surgical instruments, ripped that baby's arms and legs off, probably beheaded it after puncturing the baby's skull and letting the brain and its fluids drain out, and then threw the baby's dismembered corpse into the biohazard waste bin to be thrown out with the rest of the surgical garbage. And that's not what bothered him. What bothered him, he said, is that the girl's parents protected the child molester, who happened to be the girl's uncle, by not reporting the crime. There are so many more tragedies in this story that it's hard to know where to start. First, a 12-year-old girl who is molested and impregnated by a family member is a terrible, unthinkable crime. That young girl, who would now be a grown woman of close to 60, has been living with that trauma her entire life. She has also been living with that regret of having lost her first and maybe only child at the hands of a man who went on to murder again thousands of times over. What is so shocking and ironic in this part of the tale is that George sent three girls that we know of back into the exact same situation. See, he did exactly the same thing to not one, not two, but three young girls, all 13 years of age, performing abortions on these 13-year-olds, then sending them right back into that same situation that got them pregnant in the first place without reporting it to Child Protective Services. You see, in Indiana, abortionists are required to report to CPS any procedures done to any girl under the age of 14. As there is quite likely a child molester involved, George purposely did not report the underage girl's situations to the authorities, who likely would have stopped further abuse. In fact, it was this non-reporting that, once discovered, quickly unraveled his abortion practice and eventually resulted in his license being permanently suspended in the state. So this very thing that he described seeing happen to a 12-year-old girl in Illinois in 1974 that supposedly made him so angry at the injustice of it all, where a young girl was raped by her uncle then sent back with no legal repercussions for the rapist, is exactly the thing that George himself facilitated. Three times. No, George didn't perpetrate the rapes, he just took care of that whole pregnancy thing then covered up the crime by not telling anyone about it who could go after the perpetrators. In fact, the 13-year-old girl in Fort Wayne, whose abortion George purposely did not report to the authorities until months later, well, her mother subsequently did report the situation to the police, and the girl's 19-year-old assailant was arrested and charged with two counts of child molesting. I couldn't stop myself. I had to call him out. You said that the thing that got you that really tipped you into this was a girl who was 12 who was mm-hmm. raped by her uncle. Yeah. But that was many, many years ago. That was in the in the 70s. Yeah, that but, was, these, but these are girls that are 14 who were or under 14 who were in the same situation 
and, the, and the, you could have you could have done something fine. to help them. And there were two there were two girls in the state of Indiana where I didn't send the foreman in a proper time. And for my memory, I can't tell you what the ages was right now at this mm-hmm. point. In all honesty, I'm just telling you, mm-hmm. I don't I don't remember whether it was one under fourteen. I think maybe the girl from Gary uh, could have been fourteen. Okay, but uh, and the girl from South Bend, I don't know what her age was, but in both cases, the mother was with the with the daughter. They were they weren't brought in by a, a complete stranger. Uh, Again, no different from the case in Chicago. Case in Girl China. was raped by her uncle, was brought in by her parents. Or right? Yes. Her. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. I'm just I'm trying to see where the where the difference is. That case that. First case in Because the state of Illinois didn't have a, a requirement that I had to report. It's not, but, but you said that it, it didn't have anything to do with that. You said that that ticked you off. It ticked yeah. me off because the parents wouldn't prosecute the uncle, yes. Yeah. So, but here's, here's a, a situation where in the state of Indiana, they've put a regulation in place that you... I that, didn't follow. Absolutely. That you didn't follow. Right, but yes. But if you had followed that, wouldn't that maybe... Do you think maybe those girls got sent back into that situation again? I, I honestly can't tell you. I don't know what the state does when a girl under age gets raped and has an abortion, what the state does. And that's all the more answer we ever got out of George on that matter. But the sparks hadn't even started to fly yet. You see, before going in to talk with George, I had read every single court document, report, and transcript I could get my hands on to make sure that I had the official, documented version of the story committed to memory. I also had every bit of that documentation in my massive three-ring project binder sitting on the table in front of me. George wasn't going to get away with showing up with his own set of facts because I already had all of those. What George didn't anticipate was what would happen when Amber locked on target and backed him into a corner. George was not going to get out of this room with his lies intact. Amber was going to make sure of that. So, you have to come back next week to hear (laughs) my my beautiful bride. Hey! Who keeps the little treasures neat and clean at home. And, and you allow me out of the house every once in a while? Every once in a while, but not too often. Okay. Because you, know, you need to just be in the kitchen. That's right. Doing things and, and readying the home for me. Right, right. Oh, wait, wait, except that I'm here all day because we work have together. We have a home office. <laughs> so I guess that doesn't work. <laughs> anyway, but that's, do uh, you have anything else? No, okay. I, I don't. I'm looking forward to next week. Me too. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today, friends. Thanks for listening through to the end. Be sure to click that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and share this with your friends and family. Until next time, march on saints and be filled with the spirit. You're everyone's problem. 